Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. I'd like to start out this episode with a quick shout-out to possibly my youngest listener. Hi Willow, and thank you for listening. You may have noticed an extra voice in the intro for today's show. Willow's dad, Eric, was kind enough to send an adorable soundbite of Willow singing along with the show's theme, and I couldn't resist sharing with everyone else. Welcome back to yet another installment. I have quite a show lined up for you this evening. The calls have really been pouring in since the Season 3 opener, and I can't wait to share them with you guys. But before we get started, if you remember back to the end of last week's episode, I mentioned that I have a big announcement to share. That is still the case, but in typical podcasting fashion, I'm going to make you wait until the end of the episode to find out what that is. Be sure to stick around to the end of the show. Okay, I'll spare you any further delays. Let's get this show started. As I've mentioned several times in the past, I'm an avid camper, hiker, and backpacker. I've spent many a nights in the wilds, miles from the noise and distraction of city life, far from the glow of urban sprawl's light pollution. And it's out there that you realize just how tiny and insignificant we truly are. I'd often drag my sleeping bag from my tent and simply lie on the ground gazing starward, marveling. I'd oftentimes see things I couldn't quite explain. On a remote mountaintop, I saw dozens of extremely bright flashes of light resembling lightning without a cloud in the sky. In the desert, I witnessed what I hoped were satellites streaking across the heavens. I've even seen stars that seem to dance with one another. Now, I'm certain the oddities I witnessed were all easily explainable, but our first caller of the evening witnessed something much more peculiar during her stargazing session. This is Eliza's call. Hey, um, this is uh, Eliza, and I actually called uh, last year at some point and told you a story about a hike that I did in um, Arizona and saw some lights in the sky, and um, and so I actually am calling back with an update. I um, have another story for you, and this happened last fall. So fall of 2016 in September, 
pretty crazy. Um, me and my husband were um, sitting in a hot tub outside. It was like beautiful out, crystal clear, cool. So the hot tub felt like perfect. And we were just talking and relaxing in this hot tub. <clears throat> it was at night, crystal clear night, just like stars everywhere. We were at our home, um, which is in Southern Oregon, like way out in the country. We live on an 80 acre ranch. And, um, and we're sitting in the hot tub and I'm just relaxing and um, laying back and looking up at the stars and I'm just gazing at the stars and I happen to be looking right in this section of the sky and um, these two lights uh, as if zooming in I swear it's so crazy as if they were zooming in from outer space came down and they were spiraling around each other and I'm not kidding I really saw this and so did my husband because as soon as I started to see this I was like look you know just screamed at him and pointed and we both witnessed these lights coming down spiraling around one another and then they kind of like shot off um in different directions and they were pulsing bright to dim like and I was crying, <laughs> I was bawling, I was like, couldn't fathom, you know, what we were seeing, and he saw it too, and we had a flashlight, and so I grabbed um, the flashlight, and <laughs> and I just like shot a beam of light at them, and just like, I don't know, I just felt like, sh I just shot this beam of light, and I was like, saying thank you I guess because I just thought they like came to say hi or something. I don't know I don't know what it was and I was shooting this beam of light and I clicked it off and as soon as I clicked it off from like that same region of the sky this brilliant like b bright green flash like that lit up the sky like it's like it returned the blast of light it was crazy a green light and my husband saw it too, and we both were like in a daze um, for a while after that. I mean, days of just trying to comprehend what that could have been. Um, I have no idea. I've never, I've seen a lot of shooting stars. There's definitely not a shooting star, I'll tell you that. And I've never seen anything move like that in the sky. And that flash was unreal, so. There you go. I I don't know what it was, but it was amazing. And the quality of the lights was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. 100% um, true. And one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me in my life by far. Like, I'll remember that. And I'm so thankful that my husband was there, too, because now, you know, because even now with the distance of time of just six months or so, it's hard to believe that it even happened and I doubt it but so I'm really thankful he was there too so I can always be like did that really happen you know and he's like yeah <laughs> so there you go all right take care bye thank you Eliza Eliza's call is not all that uncommon especially in that area. 
But there was one aspect of her story that made me think of an encounter that terrified me as a child. Her mention of trying to signal the craft with a flashlight immediately transported me back to an unsolved mysteries segment about the Allagash incident. The following video from YouTube user Cryptic sums up the story perfectly. On August 1976, twin brothers Jack and Jim Weiner, along with their friends Charlie Foltz and Chuck Rack, were out on a camping trip. All four of their friends were students at the Massachusetts College of Art and were looking forward to a weekend of fishing. The area they chose to camp in is known as the Allagash Waterway, a 92-mile-long network of canals and lakes in the remote wilderness of Maine. On the first night of the trip, the four friends shared a campsite with another group who informed them that they were searching for two teenage campers who had gone canoeing earlier in the day and hadn't reported back to camp. The night was pitch black, and they were concerned that the boys had gotten lost. The friends decided to help the group search for the campers, and while surveying the lake with binoculars, they spotted a bright light moving slowly in the sky above a nearby lake. They observed it for 30 seconds before the light went out. The two teenage campers were found unharmed a little while later. The next evening, while canoeing in Eagle Lake, the same place where they had spotted the light the night before, the four friends decided to try night fishing. They built a large bonfire on their campsite to use as a landmark in case they got lost. While fishing, they noticed a large bright light in the sky, illuminating the forest below. It seemed to change color from red to green to yellow. It made no sound, but it seemed to be slowly approaching the group. When the undulating light was only around 100 yards away, Charlie shined an SOS signal at it with a flashlight to see if they would get a response. The sphere stopped moving immediately, and suddenly a beam of light emerged from near the bottom. In the blink of an eye, they were back near the shore of their campsite, and the sphere was only a couple of yards away. They stared at it in amazement, and once again Charlie shined an SOS signal with his flashlight. This time the sphere ascended into the sky and disappeared. It reappeared in the distance and then disappeared again, only to reappear even farther away before flying away altogether. They noticed that the large bonfire they'd built had been reduced to ashes, a process that would have taken several hours. The men were dazed and exhausted, so they went to sleep. The next morning they talked about the strange sighting to a park ranger and he speculated that the men had actually seen a searchlight shining from a distant hardware store that had opened recently. The men were skeptical that this was the case, since the store was far away and behind a mountain. A couple of years after the incident at the lake, Jim Weiner had an accidental fall that left him with brain damage and epilepsy. This is when the nightmare started. Jim would have recurring visions of being transported onto a ship through a beam of light and being examined by strange beings with long necks, large heads, and four fingers on each hand. While the other three men sat and watched, unable to intervene, the beings used a plethora of tools on Jim's body. He described feeling terrified, the procedures were painful and invasive. The beings even took samples of blood, feces, and sperm. When he confided in his brother about these visions, Jack told him that he had been having similar nightmares for years. 
under hypnosis, all four men recounted identical stories about being experimented on by inhuman entities. Since all four of the men were artists, they also drew what they saw, and their drawings were very similar to each other. Many people were instantly dubious about their claims. For one thing, their memories about that night were recovered using hypnosis. Skeptics consider hypnosis to be unscientific and unreliable. Subjects can easily be influenced by the hypnotist and create false memories. Their story could have also have been a complete fabrication. For one, all of the men were artists who began to incorporate their alleged abduction experience into their work after the incident. It's possible their story was just a simple marketing gimmick to help sell their art. The men became minor celebrities because of their encounter, so it's likely that their art was sought after by UFO enthusiasts. The moral of the story here is, watch where you point your flashlight. Thank you again, Eliza, for calling in. Our next submission comes to us from upstate New York. I grew up in an old farmhouse in upstate New York in the 1980s. It was a great place to grow up, and we had a small farm with sheep and other various animals. I lived in the house with my parents and older sister. For some reason, though, even though I was the youngest, my bedroom was on the first floor, while everyone else slept upstairs. It never really bothered me, and actually, after what happened, it still didn't seem to bother me much. My bedroom was next to the kitchen, and then you had to go down a hallway to reach the stairs. It was not a very long hallway, as it just had the living room and a closet off of it. It also led to the front door and stairs to the upstairs. When I was around eight or nine, I was awoken one night by heavy footsteps in the hallway. It was loud enough to wake me. Everyone else in the house was asleep, and I believe it was pretty late. I went to my bedroom door and paused to listen. Sure enough, there were those footsteps again. They would get louder and then quieter, as if someone was stomping up and down the hallway. I remember being extremely frightened and wanted to go get my parents upstairs, but that would mean I would have to go down the hallway and I could still hear those footsteps. I remember looking to see if I could see anyone. It was dark and I could not make out anyone, but I sure could hear those footsteps. I stayed there and listened for a few minutes to be sure what I was hearing was correct and the whole time I heard those steps. I decided to make a dash for the stairs to reach the safety of my parents' bedroom. I remember running as fast as I could, in the dark and all the way upstairs. I never saw anything. I went to my parents' room and woke them up. I told them I heard someone walking around the house, and my father went to investigate. Of course, he found nothing, and I slept in their room that night. I have no idea why I heard those footsteps. If they were just in my head or the remnants of a bad dream. But I know, at the time, the only answer for me was that someone was walking up and down the hallway. Nothing else ever happened in that house, and we moved out when I was a teenager. I am a new listener to the show, and I am enjoying it very much. So much, in fact, that I wanted to share my story with you. Thanks so much for the great podcast, and look forward to many more episodes. Thank you for your submission. This is quite similar to the story I recently told when I was a guest on Into the Fray podcast. 
In my case, the footsteps returned night after night for several days. Luckily for me, the rest of my family lived in rooms across the hallway from me, so I was not forced to sprint down a hallway past a stomping entity. Thank you again for your submission. Before I play the final call for this episode, I wanted to revisit something from last week's show. If you recall, a caller offered up an explanation for a UFO sighting in Florida by a man named Fernando. In his explanation, he theorized that what Fernando might have observed was a helicopter performing rescue dive exercises. Well, Fernando has responded, and he sent the following. I just heard the first episode of Season 3, and you had a caller who offered an explanation to the object possibly being a helicopter, the CH-46. So my father and I actually discussed this option. Like the caller, my father was also a rescue swimming instructor for the Navy, stationed right here in NAS Pensacola. We discussed the possibility of the object being a helicopter with a searchlight, but we determined that the non-ballistic movement that the object displayed at the end of our sighting makes it unlikely to be a helicopter. When the object flashed and expanded, it appeared to be much larger than it had just been. The object then condensed in on itself and zoomed into a non-obscured point in the sky, and it was gone. If it were a helicopter, and it had turned its lights off, I should have been able to see a black dot moving along as I had before, at approximately the same trajectory. I lived a few miles from NAS Pensacola for about a decade, and I saw several helicopters in flight, even at night. This simply was not the same. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to reply. Fernando. So, there you have it. I really enjoy the back and forth here. Great points made from each side. Thank you both for the interesting and civil discourse. And at last, our final call comes to us from the state of Georgia. This is Jude's call. Hello, my name is Jude Cochran. Um, it's been a long time since I lost last thought of this story that I'm about to tell you, but as I've been listening to The Monsters Among Us, I have felt the need to share this encounter with what I believe is my family's guardian angel. I've encountered this being only twice, once while awake and again while within a dream. It was Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, I had stayed up late the night before watching television and fallen asleep with it on. I woke to the sound of that fateful live-action news story and was transfixed by the spectacle before me. I watched over the next however long it was as the second plane crashed into the Twin Towers and then, unable to look away, I watched as the two towers crumbled on the television. I remember having, at first, a feeling of disbelief and then, as the truth of the attack set in, an overwhelming feeling of sorrow and fear. It was with these feelings that I finally left the den and ventured into the rest of the house for some late breakfast. It was a few minutes later that the encounter took place. I was sitting at my mom's piano, absentmindedly fingering the keys, still a bit dazed by the whole, whole ordeal. 
when out of the corner of my eye, I saw her. To the left of the piano, across the room, was a row of windows with a single windowed door that led up onto the back deck. And there, standing on the deck, was a slight female figure with flowing light blonde hair and dressed in a wispy white gown. I remember being startled at first, but then intrigued by three things. The first was the overwhelming sense of peace that her presence Second was the amount of detail I was able to perceive, even though I had only saw her with my peripherals. The warm, subtle glow that she seemed to be cloaked in. Of course, the encounter ended as most encounters of this nature do. When I turned to look her, at her directly, she was gone, but she left a peaceful impression on me that lingered throughout the day. What stays with me the most, though, is what happened later that day. When I brought it up with my mom and described the being to her, she looked at me a bit startled at first, but then proceeded to tell me the things that convinced me that what I saw on deck had to be a guardian angel. You see, earlier that year, my uncle Stephen was in a hospital, dying from his second bout with leukemia. And in his last days, during one of his few moments of lucidity, he told my mom that he had been visited by an angel and went on to describe to the T the exact description of the woman that I saw on that deck that day. The second time I happened to encounter this being was in the form of a dream I had later that same year. I was going through a rough time on account of a move that had separated me from most of my friends, including my first love. I remember the dream clearly even to this day. I was walking to the grounds of this boarding facility, and all of my friends were there living with me, as well as Christina. Life was wonderful, being able to spend every single day with them, and more importantly, with Christina. But then, one day I woke up to find everyone had disappeared. I must have combed every inch of that place multiple times, but to no avail. I was completely alone. When I headed back into the common area after giving up, I saw her. She was sitting on the big couch in the living room. And though her clothes had changed to a white denim halter and a matching pair of shorts, everything else was the same. The slight profile, the flowing light blonde hair, the warm glow, and the aura of quiet peace. She was reading a copy of the New York Times, which I found out of place because this dream took place in Georgia. And upon seeing her, I quickly asked, can I talk to you? She quietly set the magazine down on the coffee table and replied with a smile. Of course, Jude, you can always talk to me. After that, I sat across from her and told of my experiences of the few dream days I had spent in this place. And when we had finally come to the end of our conversation, I asked her one last question. Where is Christina? To which she replied, you aren't ready to know that yet. I woke shortly after that, my pillow soaked in tears, but with this overwhelming feeling of well-being and hope. That was the last time I saw her, but I will say that nine years later, I reconnected with Christina, and we have now been together for seven years and married for four of those. Well, that is my story. Not the usual stuff you have on your podcast, but I felt I should share it anyway. I love the show, and I hope it continues for a long time. 
thanks for listening and your consideration, Jude. Thank you, Jude. Anyone that knows me knows that I'm not a religious man. I was not raised in a religious house, and I've never put much stock in deities of any kind. But that does not stop me from believing in a very similar story. The person that told me the following story swears it happened. I have no reason not to believe them. I will not reveal who this person is for reasons you will understand by the end of the story. When this individual was younger, say 20, he was repainting a motorcycle in a small room without a mask or any ventilation. I will not speak of how careless this action was, but hey, it was the 70s. Midway through the paint job, the fumes overtook him and he lost consciousness. The next thing he recalled was a large man with a huge beard dragging him from the room where he regained full awareness. The man asked if he was alright, then, in a very serious tone, uttered the words, You can never tell anyone about this. The individual made a full recovery. I may not be religious, but I am superstitious enough to hide the identity of the man in my story. So perhaps that is saying something. I'm not sure how much my story has to do with Jude's, but I felt there was some sort of connection. Something similar about the way everything played out in each story. But then again... Maybe it was just the hallucination of a half-conscious man. Thank you again, Jude. I'm happy to hear that it all worked out in the end. And that does it for this episode. But before we part ways, I want to remind you to like the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And while you're surfing the web, rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcaster you happen to use. If you have your own story and you'd like to submit, the number is 888-608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-6444. Or you can contact me through the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu in Nature World 1986. Now, for the announcement I've been teasing. I'm very proud and excited to announce my new venture, a cryptozoology and paranormal-based subscription box called Cryptid Crate. The monthly box will send you four to six premium items all geared toward cryptid fans of all ages. Pre-registration for the box just opened, so head over to cryptidcrate.com to sign up for updates and discounts for the first box, which is scheduled to ship later this spring. I'm currently making arrangements with dozens of great artists and manufacturers, so sign up and stay tuned for further updates. This is one box you're not going to want to miss. And that does it for this episode. Thank you all for listening, and until next week.